Hello and welcome uh, to Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, and our distinguished guests your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV, and we will do our best to answer. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research. He's the best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business. He's a sought-after keynote speaker and uh, often contributor to Harvard Business Review, ZDNet. You see him on Fox Business, CNN, CNBC. He's everywhere. And in my humble opinion, he's one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wang, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot, Vala. I'm here with Vala Offshar, and he is one of the top followers on Twitter. As you guys know, CIOs, CEOs, CMOs all listen to Sage advice, and of course, his uplifting tweets, especially during this post-pandemic period. But more importantly, you can check him out, his books, he's on TV as well, and more importantly, a voice of reason. So, But hey, this is not important about us, it's more important about who we're sharing and who we're bringing on the show. And we're gonna bring on someone that's about and talking about the disruption that's happening in her industry. So who do we have up first? Ray, it's our privilege at Disrupt TV to have Julia Bardmesser, a Senior Vice President, Head of Data Architecture and Salesforce Development at Voya. In her role, Julia is leading the transformation of Voya's enterprise assets in data architecture and Salesforce to increase agility and speed, talk about the most important currencies right now, to market by eliminating redundant data silos, consolidating and automating data processes to deliver key insights from proprietary data and to reduce cost through reuse and infrastructure simplification. Every business needs this talent and skill set and capability. Julia has over 20 years of experience in data management, data governance, architecture, cross-platform solutions. So we're going to talk about end-to-end -end digital transformation in our segment. Prior to Boya, Julia was global head of data integration at Deutsche Bank where she led the implementation of global metadata management platforms and enabled data lineage and robust front to back end quality measurements. You can follow all the work that Voya is doing on Twitter at V-O-Y-A. Welcome, Julia, to Disrupt TV. Thank you. That was wonderful. I didn't realize I was doing all of that wonderful stuff. It sounds great coming from you. You are doing so much. I have to cut your bio down. We only have 20 minutes. Okay. And Julia, you're one of the most humble people I know. And, and we've been talking about humility as, as a scarce resource. Um, you're, in one of a, you're in one of the most disruptive areas in terms of banking today. And you know we've seen massive efforts to go digitization. And there was some efforts by other people, some of your competitors, some people in the marketplace, mm -hmm. they're kind of dabbling in it. Talk mm -hmm. about this world pre-crisis and what mm -hmm. the legacy non-digital firms were doing and then what you guys were doing. Because there's a big difference between how banking and banking is and transformed for most consumers and of course, uh, organizations as well. So let's start there. All right. So a lot of companies that are not you know, new companies that are cloud natives that start, you know, never even seen the piece of paper on, in their offices ever as part of work. Um, all the legacy company, right? All of the financial services company, insurance companies, retirement, banking, all of, uh, there is a lot of conversation that's been happening and a lot of news. Digital transformation is not a new concept, right? We've been talking about digital transformation for a while. But the way a lot of companies in financial sector have been looking at digital transformation is more around cool stuff, right? Customer experience. Let's connect, uh, you know, way back when the new cool thing was, let's do a website and then it's an app. And now we're really cool and we connect to Alexa, we as in like financial industry. But a lot of it was concentrating on that as a way to draw in the customer and to differentiate. And a lot of things behind the real end-to-end -end digital that was not as much on on the plate right uh, a lot of people had efforts into data analytics but it was not through end-to-end connectivity and being able to digitize from the very first from getting the information to the customer from the customer all the way to the end to financial processing and regulatory processing and everything that we need to do 
you know, that's great. And while we're doing that's this, amazing. I also want to let our viewers know that, you know, we've got Heather Williams, our, our, our final guest on the show, actually drawing. And you can see some of the things that she's doing as she's doing live graphical recording here. And um, we'll pop that in and out <laughs> as we get in here. So pretty wild. That's amazing. That's amazing. I love that. Capturing Julia's uh, brilliance in, in, a, in a poster. That's fantastic. But so, so Julia, you know, for all of us in March, a light switch flipped. Mm-hmm. And immediately the world went, and I say March in the U.S., U.S., yes. uh, yeah. immediately the world went to a distributed digital-only environment, instantly. So a lesson in this year is maybe that every business needs to think about end-to-end digitalization mm-hmm. because depending on you know uh, this pandemic and potential waves and other events, we may be in this environment. And even if we get back to... Uh, it'll be a new norm. Uh, so it's 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 not nothing is going to look exactly the same as 2019, no matter what industry, including financial sector. So when we talk about end-to-end digital transformation, what are some of these foundational building blocks you need in order for your business to be relevant in this next norm? So I must usually go into my killjoy uh, position. Uh, you need you need to start with data. Right. Uh, again, digital, there is a lot of stuff around digital that's very cool. Uh, again, all the stuff that I've talked about before where companies have been concentrating around customer experience, but to go end to end and to be able to take in information from your customer from only digital uh, channels, you have to have an ability to move that much data and to understand this data. So you have a lot of requirements now becoming Coming uh, before that, it was more regulation that were driving a lot of data governance efforts. But now, it's that's how your data is coming in. Just as an example, have you tried? Like a lot of us who travel have been trying to do disputes with credit cards. Right. Some of them are very nice. You go online or you go on the app and you click a button and you file a dispute. And for some of them, you have to call. And what do you hear now when you call somebody? You hear we have a lot of calls, stay on the line, or we'll call you back sometime in the future, maybe in a week, maybe in two. And then you get, and you're going to get your number in the mail. I don't want to open my mail. I'm in New York. I do not want to open my mail. And then, and sometimes you will need to send us back your evidence. How am I going to get like, how am I going to send this? I can't print things, right? How am I going to print? There is no, like, you can't go, like, I don't want to go anywhere to any store to send. So that's the change that I have seen that across both banking and financial services, that not only you have to understand, uh, get uh, the data in and understand your data and make sure that you can bring all of this together so you can do your data analytics and your machine learning, but you also need to enable your basic operations end-to-end be digital. It's letters are gonna go out of fashion. Yeah, no, we're definitely saying this. And, and, you know, as part of that, I mean, there's been a whole bunch of contactless efforts that are going on mm-hmm. in this post-pandemic uh, recovery. And people have, I mean, if you hadn't even digitized the channel or thought about digitizing a channel, I mean, that has completely transformed. People want contactless. People are trying to do some other activities. What has accelerated the most for you uh, in terms of what you're seeing in terms of trends, what customers want, and also what's top of your priority list? So the digital piece is absolutely how do you reach out to the customers, right? So that's part of my digital end-to-end. It's not only being on the coolest piece of, uh, on the coolest customer channel, but also being able to figure out what channel would the customer prefer. And I don't like letters, but my mom, for example, cannot get anything other than letters, right? <laughs> She's not online on anything. And if you're trying to reach out and things like she likes going to the bank and talking to a person, well, you can't go to the bank right now, right? It just that's as a channel that's going to go away or shrink significantly. So if from the financial services, if you're trying to figure out how to reach and who, it becomes vitally important. How do you know yeah. how, which customer you reach out? And again, it goes back to data, right? And the accuracy of analytics becomes really important, right? Because now that's your way to differentiate yourself. This is your way, because if you try to reach me on Twitter, I'm not on Twitter. I have a Twitter handle, I'm not there. I'm not reachable. 
Right. Yeah, we know that. <laughs> yeah. We've been hunting for your Twitter handle. <laughs> I think I'm gonna. I'm about to be to get on Twitter. Right? A couple more conversations for today, and I'm no, getting on Twitter. No, please do. Please do. The world needs your advice. Um, and speaking of the world needing your advice, you know, our next guest is a best-selling author and a Silicon Valley investor pioneer, and he's going to talk to us about uh, autonomous uh, revolution. And this notion of, again, automation, removing friction, ability to anticipate needs and deliver. And it sounds like when you talk about data and use of data, the purpose seems to be to create a wonderful stakeholder experience by removing friction, understanding the importance of personalization and speed and convenience. So what is the role of data in your decision making? Why is so what what is the what is what is it fueling? Is it fueling efficiency, personalization, relevance, speed? Yes. All, yes. all of the above. Yes, all of the above. Yeah. Efficiency <laughs> becomes really important, right? Because a lot of companies have impacts on their bottom lines right now. And again, analytics, when we, a lot of focus of analytics was on creating of the new business and data was powered in that. But you also have huge power in data in removing friction. And the friction, it's not only for the customer. There is friction within the company that costs money. Friction generates costs. So that's where data it, it plays enormous role. And especially with this crisis where all the efficiency you can get, you need to get out of your system. Right, so data reduces friction. That's on one hand. Another one, accuracy of analytics that you have. Uh, that's also driving uh, a lot of innovation and uh, focus on the data that we have. Um, so pretty much everything. And then looking at even in the security, a lot of people are working from home, right? You have a lot of uh, concerns around, can you hack Zoom? Right. Yeah. right. And you have an incident, right? Yeah. You have major companies that had incidents. Now, you, then you have to look at data and saying, did you have where you impacted? Again, this is all back. Again, it's kind of a killjoy because it's not cool. It's just data, but not very much you can do around here without getting really good data, access to it, accurate and understand what it is. You know, the other thing that we keep hearing about is the fact that uh, people have been using the data much more frequently than before, right? People might run a weekly report and check in on status, or they might even look at it at a daily level. But were you seeing the same requirement to th see things at an hourly level or even more quickly as people um, were going through uh, some of these decisions? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And a lot, a lot of different, so you have to look at your full data set. Right, and we, I've seen a lot more of that, and I have seen a lot of requests from our teams that are doing business analytics and data analytics. Do we have this data? Can we find it? Do we have history? Can we track, right, what's happened before, what's happening now? Do we see change, right, around hardship loans and all of so all of that data? Again, there are a lot more requests. They what's been running previously once a month, generating the report exactly like Ray said. Now it's more on the daily side. Got it. That's sure, a, that, sure. that is a big shift. I mean, and, and given the yeah. fact that, you know, I mean, I saw some interesting stats as well that, you know, home mortgages are up, people are looking for credit. I mean, these, all these requests are now all coming and people are at home. I mean, they actually have time to do this. They're not sitting in a commute, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I miss my commute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you miss your commute. So, so I miss my commute. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, of course. Of course, we all do. I want to get in my car and drive. Um, so, so, Julia, my 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 young my youngest child is ten years old. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's a digital native. I'm a digital immigrant. I wasn't born with mobile, social, yes. cloud. Uh, my son was born with social networking and smart devices and wearables and and so on and so forth. So, he's got eight years before banking is 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 something that he's going to be interested in. You know, as an adult, young adult, eighteen. So, in eight years from now. Is he going to be partnering with new fintechs or is he going to be partnering with digitally enabled banks that are able to, will he ever walk into a branch uh, eight years oh. from now? What are your thoughts about the world of banking, especially with digital natives taking us to maybe 2030? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I think the answer is both. So I think banks and financial services institutions that partner with fintech and figure out how to innovate within them and innovate with the fintech would be the ones that would survive. And fintech, banking, again, banking and financial services are highly regulated uh, industries. 
it's not that simple to get into that fintech when it's small it's easier to become a big presence to be something that's uh, in in everybody's life uh i think where the companies that would thrive are the partnership uh, are the companies that would partner really well between fintech and digital digitally enabled banks in fact some of the digital enablement will come from fintechs in terms of the branches i think branches are going to go away uh especially if for example what's going on right now will come back in waves people will just get out of the habit and your son will never get into the habit i know on my daughter she's a little older than your son she's 20 years old if she needs to do anything to call she got a new credit card she had to call to uh enable it uh, to activate it she it took her a week because she doesn't want to call she wanted to do yeah. it online she wanted to do it in the app they kept telling her to call took her a week to activate the credit card for a teenager Wow. That must be a foreign concept, trying to call. Like, like what do you do? Like, I, mean, I got I to get on hold. I can't do anything right away. In, yeah. eight, in eight years, my son's going to be in a level four autonomous car if he goes to a bank. And it will probably be just wave his card by the window and things are done. But we'll see. Yeah. Well, on, the, on autonomous cars, I actually came across a very interesting estimate recently. So speaking of data on autonomous cars, so the fully powered autonomous car would generate about estimate is four terabytes of data wow every a day a day wow amazing four yeah. terabytes yes yeah, so all of us or at least me again i don't do twitter but i am fairly active uh i consume maybe three to four gigabytes a month on my cell phone i don't watch movies on my cell phone we're talking about four terabytes of data a our infrastructure needs to be significantly different to be able to handle Absolutely. that that's one yeah. car Absolutely. right yeah. And it's all it's all built on communication, but also think about all you can do with that data. Talk about <laughs> this is why this, this is why Tesla is going to be the first trillion dollar market cap auto manufacturer because that they're a data software company that happened to build cars. Um, exactly. So I, it's I agree. yeah. Yep. Hey, we got one question from the audience here. Uh, always confused which comes to technology or tools when you come to data strategy governance, any advice as to the best way to evaluate? So. Oh, well, it's the best way to evaluate is to figure out what problem you're trying to solve. There are a lot of tools on the market and pretty much every one of those tools will tell you that they are the best at everything you can possibly <laughs> think of. Lineage, catalog, and data governance, data definitions, you know, what have you, they're best at all of that. What is the business problem you're trying to solve? Are you satisfying the regulator? Do you need to produce something for the regulator? Are you trying to bring money, business into the company? Are you looking for efficiencies? What is it that you're trying to solve? And then look for the tool that solves that. Don't go and say, well, I just want to have best of breed. Of course, it's usually expensive and it may not get you what you want. Good point, good point. We are here with Julia Bardmesser, Senior Vice President, Head of Data and Architecture and Salesforce Development at FOIA. Anyways, FOIA Financial, <laughs> thought I'd do it. Thank fun. you, guys. <laughs> so, hey, thanks, thanks for being here. She we'll is see you a on BT. Twitter. We'll, we'll see, you see you on Twitter. Twitter. She is a right. Business Transformation 150 winner. And, of course, uh, we hope to see her at Constellation Connected Enterprise uh, in October. Uh, it's our small little event. So, yeah, so we'll talk more about that. So, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for coming in Thank from you. New York. You. See you, Julia. Great, great advice. Uh, you know, someone who's been in the financial industry for so long, tr tremendous business leader. And uh, we are so honored to have our second guest on Disrupt TV. Bill Davido is a Silicon Valley pioneer who ran microprocessor division at Intel at the dawn of the chip revolution and was later senior vice president of marketing and sales. Bill founded more Davido Ventures, one of Silicon Valley's premier VC firms in 1985. Yes. So pioneer in terms of venture capital. Bill served on board, uh, serves on the boards of California Institute of Technology and Stanford Institute of Economic Policy. He's the author of three books and co-author of two, including The Virtual Corporation, which sold more than 100,000 copies. Bill's latest book, The Autonomous Revolution. So most books are about autonomous futures, discussing the effects of technology. Uh, Bill's books explain why technology is having those effects on our most important institution. Uh, he argues in the book that the era we're entering is a fundamental shift from anything we've ever known, social, cultural transformation that's happened only twice before in human history. 
And when these transformations occur, everything changes, even the rules themselves. So this is why we have Bill on the show. You can follow him on Twitter, great follow at Bill Davido, D-A-V-I-D-O-W. Welcome, Bill, to Disrupt TV. Hi, how are you? Great having you. Well, I'm hey. enjoying being here, and I was enjoying the first part of the show. I'm learning all about how my life was Thank going you. to change with all that data. <laughs> Hey, no, it's, it's part of it, right? Data is the foundation for a lot of this transformation. It's the foundation for this autonomous evolution that you are talking about. And and one of the things that I, I'd love to go deeper in is, you know, we, we have one of our big things at Constellation, which is really about the autonomous decade that's ahead, right? And, and I was really excited to see what you're talking about in this autonomous revolution and where you see this future headed. Well, uh, the argument uh, we say what is going on is something we call social phase change. And the argument by analogy is when water goes through a critical temperature, it turns to ice, it changes form, it obeys different rules, fluid flow for water. We use different tools. We use pipes for water, don't work on ice. And our intuition about water tells us nothing about ice. And the argument is that our institutions are going through a similar phase change where they are following different rules, taking on a different form, using different tools, and our intuition about what is going to happen is lousy. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so in the book, you talk about social phase change occurs in our institution and, and, and uh, institution change form, obey new rules, uh, new, uh, use new tools, and functions in, in, as you said, counterintuitive ways. How do you coach, or when you're investing in, in a company, how do you ensure that the company has a culture and leadership that can that, that appreciates and understand these phase changes? Uh, what are the muscles you need to develop in order to be attuned to this incredible velocity, both speed and direction of technology and markets? And certainly with COVID-19, I mean, talk about a seismic, as I mentioned, light switch event that really is forcing companies and business leaders to think in a whole new way. Well, all right. First, I'd like to come back to COVID because what I would argue is that all COVID is doing is accelerating a trend that was going to happen anyhow. So yes. once we get through with coping with the disease, we're just going to see things um, accelerate. Now I'm going to sound like Steve Jobs. Uh, you, you just invest with people who are under age of 30. Uh, but, you know. Ray, you and I are out. We're out, man. We, we, we're done. Our careers are over. <laughs> we'll have to reinvent ourselves somewhere else. <laughs> it turns out that businesses take on entirely new forms. You think about it, and your previous guest was talking about financial institutions. Well, uh, think about this. Um, I talk about something in the book called the information equality, where information equals what it can replace. So suddenly, a bank is nothing more than an information processing system, and it becomes an app on a phone. So now, you think about that, and here is a bank with all their assets tied up in, in big buildings with pillars in the front, and suddenly... It goes away and it's an app on a phone. And it's very hard to eat your own business. So the, the traditional businesses fight to preserve what exists because it's catastrophic if, they, if this change occurs. And what you really have to be prepared to do is to move to these new business models, which are, are totally different. Um, the credit card industry today, Day, uh, if you look at credit card charges through the system, it comes out to about 6% of the total charges by the time you're through with interest charges and things like that. And then you say, hey, we can transfer money today between people for essentially zero cost. So if I'm a credit card company, um, I say, hey, I want to preserve people using MasterCard and Visa, and I want to take my skim off the top and things like that. And um, if I'm somebody like Tencent, I'm interested in transferring money. And, uh, and I, I say I make money in a totally different way. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, cha- that, change that, change, that changes. Too. And so the question and is, so the question is, where do we get the sublimation? sublimation? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, it, it is things like that. We, it, it, I talk. I mean, it, it, you vaporize companies. Uh, they, well, I, I guess the analogy would be they turn into the cloud, right? <laughs> That's why I was kind of jumping into that. But, but you yeah. know, when you think about that shift, right, you're saying industries are about to be disrupted. This whole notion of automation is, is coming at a pace that people weren't expecting, but we've now pulled it through because of a crisis. People actually see the benefits of it. Uh, where, where does the role um, in terms of you know, monetizable productivity come back into play. You talk about reigniting monetizable productivity. What, what does that mean? Well, well, all right. So in, in the book, I talk about something called monetizable productivity and non-monetizable productivity. And between, uh, we've always lived with what I call monetizable productivity. And by that, I mean, you become more productive and G- GNP grows faster than productivity, and when that happens, wages go up and you create jobs. Suddenly, we're seeing a phenomenon that I call non-monetizable productivity. And I I first learned about that when I was at Intel, and Bob Noyce would come into my office, and he'd have a meeting with financial analysts, and he'd be so frustrated, and he'd say, the financial analysts are telling me that my company is not being our productivity isn't going up. And I tell them they're measuring productivity in terms of dollars per employee. I'm measuring it in terms of transistors per employee. It's growing 40% a year. The problem is prices are coming down so fast that I can't raise the dollar output per employee. Don't tell mm-hmm. me I'm not being more, more productive. That's amazing. I just love hearing you talk to the founder of Intel. That's just so cool. That's amazing. Amazing. Well, how lucky are we, Ray, uh, to have guests like Bill? Uh, Bill, last year, uh, you know, Walmart uh, brought uh, uh, smart machines to inventory shelves in their stores, uh, really doing mundane, redundant work. At the same time, they rerouted 30,000 of their employees to go to Walmart University to be trained to become personal shoppers. Uh, in order to leverage e-commerce and last mile delivery of food. And so it was incredible new revenue opportunity, new business model innovation, but taking advantage of autonomous automation capabilities. So in your book, you talk about how do we rescue good jobs from, from the coming autonomous revolution? Can you expand on that thought? And Because the fear for most when they hear autonomy and automation is like, for example, 3 million truck drivers not being employed because now you have autonomous trucks. So there's this balance of understanding how, do you, how does technology and business be the platform to best serve society when we talk about things like autonomy and automation and good jobs? Well, all right. You know, the good job is something that's really only existed for about 50 years. Uh, it was pretty much created by the labor unions and Franklin Roosevelt. And then uh, companies started paying for your health care and you got retirement benefits and things like that. <clears throat> so before uh, the 1930s, uh, the good job, well, actually, I think the good job probably only came into existence after the Second World War. Um, I think the good job is going to be very, very difficult to bring back. And what one of the things we point out in the book is that um, our society before the Industrial Revolution was entrepreneurial. Everybody produced things and they sold them. I was on a farm and I produced things that I sold or I made shoes and I sold them. After the Industrial Revolution, we started working for other people and we had a job. Now we are going back to an entrepreneurial society again. and, and that creates a number of challenges for us. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we're definitely seeing that shift, right? And, and the question is, you know, how do we get out of that or how do we actually encourage that? I think it's going to depend on, you know, what happens on the uh, economic cycle and where we are. Uh, one of the interesting areas that you talk about in your book as well is really talking about where we create safeguards for 
humans and automation. And, and we worry about that as well, right? If, if everything's fully automated, what is the role of the human? Uh, we often ask four questions, right? You know, when do you do full intelligent automation? When do you augment the machine with the human? When do we augment the human with the machine? And of course, when do we trust human judgment? Uh, what do you say to that? Well, all right. I, 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 I'm going to not answer your question directly because I can't resist the opportunity here. <laughs> Go for it. I, I'm, I'm really uh, hung up on is that I, you, evolved in a physical world. Somehow, evolution designed my senses to sense trust I, I, and, and to protect me from attacks. So my eyes, my ears, my feeling of touch, you know, I don't touch hot things, um, are all designed to protect me and to create trust. And I'm going into a virtual world hmm. where none of my senses and my sensing mechanisms work anymore. Yeah. So <laughs> you're putting me into a virtual world and my life depends a lot on trust and my defense mechanisms no longer work. And I think one of the real challenges is that we are not evolved to live in virtual worlds. Now, that, that, is, that doesn't mean we aren't gonna be living in them. Sure. But we've gotta think seriously about that because in the physical world, the physical world didn't have a purpose. A tree did not grow to be firewood. <laughs> In the virtual world, the virtual environment has a purpose. And that purpose is increasingly to shape my behavior and to encourage me to do certain things. And so we have to think about what we as people, when we move to these data-driven environments, are going to be doing. And that is one of the big challenges. And one of the reasons, uh, you know, I try to live my life to make sure that I use these technologies to enhance the quality of my life in the physical world. Right. So right. I, 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 what I try to do is use the technologies to enhance my life in the physical world rather than living my life in the virtual world. That's amazing. Such amazing insights. Uh, so, okay, so 35 years ago, you launched a VC firm in Silicon Valley in the physical world. And for 35 years, you assessed entrepreneurs and startup founders in the physical world where you could read the room, you could use your senses to understand trustworthiness of who you were going to put your hard dollars in terms of investment. And for the last two months, all of the VC community members have had to, in the virtual world, listen to those pitch decks and founders. And so what advice do you have being an iconic VC to current VCs that can only assess uh, their, their willingness to develop an investment thesis and invest in someone in a purely digital world? What do they need to do in order to enhance that sense and response and, and trustworthiness assessment muscles that develop that they've developed only in the physical world until the last two months well, and potentially for the next calendar year you know depending on you know how much progress we make well you know quite honestly uh, you know i i've got the advantage of being really old but I'm <laughs> so hire young people but surround yourself with, with really wisdom, wise, with wisdom wisdom yeah <laughs> <laughs> right. No, I mean, I think that's that 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 that's really hard because, you know, it, it, it's a lot harder if I've got to constantly interact with somebody to take advantage of them. On the other hand, uh, you know, when people are drifting into my life and out of my life and and so it, it is hard to build those those levels of trust and. I, I, you know, you, you, I, I, I think we're going to have to learn how to do it, but it, it's much more difficult because um, I, our physical society evolved around trust. You know, that's why we are tribal people because we trust people in tribes. 
and uh, we're seeing that evolution take place in the polarization that's occurring on the internet where everybody has their own um, little groups that they want to be associated with and and that all think alike and the question is how do you develop trust on the internet because uh, trust is central to all of this stuff i mean i i've been reading about all these uh, companies that uh, uh in this COVID environment there was one that supposed to ship all these masks to people and it 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 raised all this money uh and uh then didn't ship anything and it got hundreds of millions of dollars worth of contracts and what have you and uh uh and uh, you know uh, uh, i i suspect that uh, uh that would have been very difficult to do in the physical world because um it would have been a lot more difficult if I had been looking people in the eye. Yeah, no, it's a different piece. And, and I think so the true. digital signals around trust that you're talking about have to be there. We have to be used to what those are. We have to see. And, and you know what? We're going to be augmented by machines. I mean, those AI bots and AI algorithms are going to jump in and say, oh, no, that's not trustworthy. I know where this came <laughs> from. Right. I know this is definitely. I, I know. I know. Ray, I know Ray is trying to replace me with a robot. But, you know, <laughs> no, no, no. I think our producers are trying to replace us. You know, I was kidding. No, but but it, it's part of it. And, and you know, we are. So we are here with uh, Bill Davidow, and he's written this book. And for those that are following along, um, it is the Autonomous Revolution, a very, very important book, really talking about that next big wave. Uh, I'm going to ask the, you know, one, one last question here, which really is about what's the role of government in this? Um, do they have a role? Will they have a role? Will they even know what happened? I mean, if you see some of our legislators, you wonder how they even make decisions with some lack of scientific you know basis i mean there's like only like three or four people with science degrees in, in congress apparently or something like that so okay so government government should have a role or let me put it this way i wish we didn't have to have government have a role but i believe we're going to have and you know one of the examples i'd like to give is the internet would be a much better place if micro payments existed and um it, it, the existing institutions um, I, 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 that dominate the internet, I think, don't see the benefit in micropayments. But uh, most authors or most suppliers of information do, and yeah. Um, and yeah. so that would be the case. Um, I, I I look at my personal information, and I can tell you that there is no freedom as long as there is complete access to my personal information. And uh, I, I would like to have ownership of my personal information. And uh, that would require government action. Wow, we're definitely seeing mm -hmm. a different change here. So it is uh, definitely a shift. All right, well, we are here with Bill Davidow, author of The Autonomous Revolution. You can check out his book as well. Follow him on Twitter for more insight at Bill, D-A-V-I-D-O-W, one of the original founders of VCs, one of the you know most interesting books, all different topics and genres. You definitely want to check them all out. Um, everything from the uh, virtual corporation to marketing high technology to, and of course, this book, The Atomus Revolution, Reclaiming the Future We Sold to Machines and with Michael Malone. So, hey, thanks a lot. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Val, and thank you. You're terrific. Right. Thank you, sir. Right. Thank you. Wow. So much wisdom in that last 20 minutes. Uh, incredible insights and honor to, and it's so like, you know, I, you know, the founder of Intel walked into my office and we talked about XYZ. That's pretty awesome. It is awesome. Speaking of awesome. Uh, we got to give her a breather. She's been working really hard too. So. Yeah, yeah. It's our uh, privilege to have Heather Willems, founder, visual strategist, graphic facilitator. As an author, visual storyteller, and serial entrepreneur, Heather has made her life work to help teams gain clarity through creativity. And anyone who's seen Heather in action, absolutely stunned by her talent. After 15 years as a creative strategy consultant, she designed co-creation sessions with clients, creating transformational change. Her book, Draw Your Big Idea, is a result of years of working with some of the most 
influential companies and thought leaders in the world from Johnson & Johnson, SAP, Disney, FedEx, Google, Lego, NASA. NASA, I'm assuming Heather's drawings will be someday on the moon and Mars. Uh, her, her work has been featured for Tech Talk, Today Show, MSNBC, Forbes, Mashable, Wall Street Journal, and all the key media outlets. She's a sought-after keynote speaker. She's spoken at CCE, South by Southwest, Con, Conference for Women, Columbia University, Comic-Con, and so many more. Obviously, we get to see her at Constellation Connect Enterprise, and we're 400 you know, CXOs are always enamored by her talent and ability. An incredible follow on Twitter at Heather underscore Willow. Look at this fan base. <laughs> Look yeah. at this fan base. People are coming Welcome, in all Heather. over. Welcome, Heather. <laughs> Welcome you to the show. <laughs> I wish I wish we could draw you. You know, I wish. I know. We'd be awful. We'd be like doing stick figures. <laughs> That's what we'll do at the next CCE. We're gonna ditch all the content. We're just gonna have drawing the entire time. You know, hey, let's, let's, awesome. we, you know, look, we've we've been working with you for so long. I mean, you're part of the whole community here uh, with Constellation. You're part of the community that, you know, people that really love to bring ideas out and thinking about, you know, really shaping how their ideas look, how they communicate, how they innovate, how they design and, and think about that future. Um, and so as we move more towards these digital channels, uh, what's changed, right? What's the same? What's changed, you know, in terms of the work that you're doing? I'm sure you're doing a lot more virtual events to start with. But but is there yep. is there a difference in terms of how people are engaging? Is are there different techniques you're trying uh, that are working that that you wouldn't have done normally uh, in a physical environment? Um, yes, it feels like you know the first couple of weeks everything seemed like it was flipped on its head. We're like, what is happening here? And um, you know it, that was a time when I actually went back deep into drawing, um, and I found well it, I can answer this question a couple different ways. Um, one, for myself, I found that the drawing was a way to anchor emotion and to find stability. Um, and there's neuroscience behind that because when you're starting to put pen to paper, whether it's journaling or it's um, drawing out ideas, uh, you're only focusing on one thing. So it's allowing your brain to process in, um, you know, do the problem solving that your emotions aren't allowing you to access period. <laughs> um, so that also translates into working with clients as well as, you know, it's, um, I found that bringing in the um, visual illustration work and getting people to actually engage. Um, people is talking about how we need trust and like create this human connection um, by giving clients like these drawing exercises, it allows them to do that problem solving. So the shift is, um, at least in the short term, um, and I'm so excited about, you know, how we can start to use this on a more regular basis, is really to get people to, um, you know, do problem solving and processing in, in different ways, not just um, talking something out or typing it out, but actually starting to draw up some of those ideas and and do it themselves. That's wow. terrific. That's terrific. Wow. We had, you know, so, you know, Bill, an iconic VC, talked about the physical world allowing <laughs> you to better assess trustworthiness and meaningful connections. Last week, we had Rana Kalubi, who's the uh, uh, CEO of a startup that uh, spun out of MIT Media Labs, and her work in terms of machine learning and, and uh, uh, computer visioning was to assess emotion uh, using. AI, and and she said, like for example, leaning into a camera, your 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 facial yeah. features, thousands of different data points to assess right. tone, sentiment, connectivity. So as you're in this digital only world, and you're trying to capture the aha moments of a presenter, and to shape the story in the most meaningful way, how do you do that in the digital world? Like, what are you you know, what are you looking for in order to make sure that you're capturing the essence of the story that the presenter is trying to convey to an audience? Mm -hmm. um, well, I think I'm, I'm also thinking about the work that I do, not just working with presenters and keynote speakers, but also when I'm helping to design and facilitate um, yeah. the design thinking and problem solving workshops. Right. Um, really the key in both areas and, you know, that we now that we've got, you know, whole life integration, 
with our families and our partners is really listening. Like that's the key is really, you know, putting all of the devices, all of the screens aside and focusing on what's being said. You know, every time that I start out um, when I'm facilitating sessions, as people are coming in into the room, I always ask them a couple opening questions, but one of them is always um, in the chat, count how many screens you have open right now. How many tabs do you have? Right, I bet you have like 140. Yeah. I'm afraid to share my screen. <laughs> you know, and so it's like- Ray's running a blog right now as we speak. Right, as we speak. I'm live tweeting um, actually. So that's like a, it's a good reminder and it's a visual reminder when it's up in the chat that we are very susceptible to distraction even more so when we're in this digital space. So one way to start to honor the people who are um, in our rooms, um, in our lives, in our, in our business, um, is to close down some of those screens and just be present and focus on what's there. And that really is the key to discerning like what those, what those key messages are. You know, when I'm, when I'm up at the, you know, whether, you know, somebody from my team or I'm up at the front of the room um, actually doing the graphic recording, the key thing that I'm doing is listening. That is the greatest skill set that anybody on my team has is, is being a good listener. So, Ray, we're finding out Heather's superpowers, and one of it is that she can give you her undivided attention. So, because we all wonder how you do what you do. So that's definitely undivided attention. That's awesome. That's and and what's, what's great about that is it really makes people feel heard, appreciated, and going back to Bill's, Bill's point, it creates trust. You know, we got and a great comment here from Matthew. The, the gift of presence is the most precious gift you can give someone. So Ooh, I, mean, I think that's definitely true, right? And we're definitely seeing this, you know, in the, in this age. Um, so Matthew's a poet. Matthew's a poet. Matthew's a poet, and he's actually going to be on our show, I think, in a, in a few weeks. So uh, we'll, we'll leave that uh, to suspense. Um, but hey, you know, but the other piece is you've interviewed so many people in a very interesting way. You've captured their thoughts. You've captured, you know, the essence of what they're trying to say over the last year. Are there a couple of folks that, you know, just really stood out to you that were very interesting or the audience or the time frame that you'd go back and say, wow, that was, you know, that was just so mind blowing that even you were like blown out of your, your proportions. You're think some people that I've actually recorded for? Yeah, people that you've talked to that you've said, oh my God, this is like amazing. I mean, because like you, you're like at the front seat at all these different events uh, and you're capturing people's ideas. You're synthesizing them you know, down to a point, you know, as if there's anyone, any, any kind of special events or, or special scenarios that you thought, you know, so, that were just amazing. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the highlights really is going to CCE every year. Um, you have so it's, and and right now, especially you know, folks um, like Bill and like the guests that you have who are really looking into the future um, and seeing what you know what is to come, like looking both at the past, um, you know, to predict what's what's going to be coming down the line, combined with the technology. Um, That's amazing. That's amazing. So so as you as you are uh, coaching executives to be better storytellers. Mm -hmm. Uh, so being present and developing, you know, active listening skills is one. What are their, what other skills should business leaders develop in order to, you know, establish meaningful connections with their, with their, you know, with their stakeholders, employees, customers, partners, communities? Yeah, um, great. I mean, right now, especially, it's communicate, communicate and communicate. Yeah. So it's just, you know, having that transparency, bringing in some of the vulnerability. Um, there was a really great, I don't know if you guys saw it this morning, but the CEO of Airbnb like sent out. And, yeah. and it was like, <laughs> oh, it was just, it was, it was filled with emotion. It was filled with empathy. Um, and it was very clear like and transparent about, you know, why they were making the decision that they were making and and i think another thing that it did that came across very clearly and as it came back to their core values you know right. of being human um so i'd say like when you know if you're a leader at this time it's like embracing 
embracing the values and the vision and the purpose that you've laid out in your organization, um, being brave enough to be vulnerable and transparent, and then just communicating very clearly in as many possible ways as you can. Um, and repeating that, repeating that over and over again. Yeah, Pretty we're nice. definitely we're seeing that shift. This is fun. So how did you get started? I think a lot of people want to know because like, you know, we, yeah. we're not all very good drawers and we're also, it's taking the ability to capture the imagery, capture the essence of a concept. And these are complicated concepts and then put them out there for people to see and discuss and engage in. How did you get started? Yeah, I love that, that question right now. So um, my background's in photography. So I always thought like, I can't draw, so I'm gonna take photos. Um, and it's, really just, it's, true. it's started out of uh, boredom. I was waitressing and just wanted to like, I started drawing what people's conversations were at the table. And um, I'm a little bit of a better uh, communicator and talker than I am a waitress. So I ended up, um, <laughs> working at Gemini to get started and learned, you know, all of the facilitation skills and the design thinking skills that I have in the drawing was one of them. But really, when I launched my business was in 2008, when the economy. Wow. Wow. I mean, there's, there's a lot of freedom. This is maybe sounds like, you know, there's obviously with respect to all of the um, challenges and sadness that's happening right now. There's also just a great amount of opportunity. Um, talking to my business coach and we're like, the playing field has kind of been evened out right now. Mm. And there's, there's so much um, opportunity to grow and innovate and everybody, including our, our clients and our, our partners, we're all open to innovation and experimentation. And you know that's what how I started um, the graphic facilitation agency was, you know, it was just kind of one of those questions, like, what if, what if we did a business that was just drawing people's conversations? Let's make a website, see what happens. Start talking about it and get excited. And, you know, that's really how it happened. And, um, you know, NASA really was my first client. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's not know, bad. Not bad small. for a first client. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It helped to be able to say like, oh, it's not rocket science. That's awesome. So, so what a great, what a great, what a great story to share. You know, the jobs report recently, you know, 34 million, 15% unemployment. It, it, just, it's a depressionary state. And you started your company the last time this country was facing significant yeah. financial crisis. So advice to, so a lesson to entrepreneurs, uh, no, no matter what your background, no matter if you have a particular skill and you have passion and commitment and grit and persistence and optimism, this is the time for you to, to really add value. And, and what you're doing, whether it's at NASA or with uh, you know, Johnson & Johnson or Lego or Disney, mm -hmm. I mean, some of the most creative companies are coming to you for advice so any other advice you can share with entrepreneurs that are watching the show thinking about you know how, you know how, how do i shape my career in in perhaps the worst financial times that our country has seen in 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 decades Ooh, yeah wow, that's a really great question um one of the things that i've been doing passionately for the past several years is coaching entrepreneurs um, who are scaling up to a million and so one one thing, one piece of advice that I th think is uh, very important is you don't have to do it alone. Um, so reach out, find a network, find an accountability group. Um, I'm part of EO, which is the entrepreneur organization, and there's many other support uh, support groups, but there's uh, there's many other organizations that support entrepreneurs as they're starting to pivot their career and grow. Um, I'm also launching a masterclass that is called Pivot Your Career. So um, there'll be a lot more information. I have, I have so much information I can share about that. Um, I'm just not sure we have enough time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this, this could be classes we'll be taking with you online, right? Master classes awesome. and, you know. Well, we'll, um, we'll have you back on the show when you're ready to talk about it. I mean, it's- uh, I would love know, to. I would I think, love to. I think it's great to, uh, 
you know, to, to learn from someone who's obviously a giver. And, uh, and Ray said it, like you captured the essence of conversations and connections and the amount of parallel processing that has to happen to I do that. <laughs> it's like creative thinking, critical thinking, you know, all of it combined and, and, and out comes magic. So, so we look forward to the drawings of Ray and I. And again, please try to make me look handsome. I don't have Ray's hair, but. Uh... Well, I definitely um, did some drawing be drawings behind the scene of Julie and Bill. Um, awesome. so I'll have to, have to do another round for you guys. No, they, were, they were great. And, and we actually, uh, we, you know, a shout out to Alan Leposky, alumni here at uh, Constellation. Uh, he, he did a little uh, posted drawing. So check it out on Twitter. I, I, I don't know if it's as good, but, uh, you know, he, he's just giving a good shot. We're <laughs> trying. We're trying. You've set the bar. So, you know, it's hard to uh, it's hard to do what you do. But and I, think Liz, I think Liz has one as well on our team, Liz Miller. Uh, but uh, but here's you, a question you've, you've here. Inspired, you've inspired some of the top analysts in the world to draw. Like that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. We want to know if you can actually sketch and talk at the same time, and I, I, I mean, that's 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 a superpower. <laughs> so Matthew, I did, um, I didn't today, but I thought to come and um, I I plan to draw out uh, from the video <laughs> from, oh, from awesome. what we talked about today. No, this is awesome. So definitely catch Heather. She's going to be at our event. Uh, I mean, is this our tenth year? Maybe I think so. Yeah. It's a the decade yeah. of cce constellation connected yeah constellation connected enterprise um so once again you know thanks so much for being on the show we are with uh one of the top yes. talents in the world heather williams founder of visual yes. strategies and graphic facilitator you can definitely catch her for your digital event your live event your virtual event and of course we are having our physical event we hope and of course you can follow her on heather at underscore at heather underscore Willems, W-I-L-L-E-M-S uh, on Twitter. So thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you so much. You're terrific. You're terrific. Uh, Ray, my brain is just spinning. From Julia to Bill to Heather, just so much wisdom. This is why it's my favorite day of the week, because I get to be a student again. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I try to be a student every day, but Fridays are just remarkable. Uh, and speaking of remarkable, next week is going to be episode 190. Again, folks, we're getting to 600 interviews on Disrupt TV. We're very fortunate to start with Paul Doherty, Group Executive, uh, Chief Executive and Technology Chief uh, Officer uh, at Accenture. Uh, Paul is the author of Human Plus Machine, author of the annual Technology Vision Report from Accenture, and frankly, one of the smartest people that Ray and I know. So he's, he's brilliant. Uh, definitely tune in. Stacey Epstein, Chief Marketing Customer Experience Officer at ServiceMax. And one of our favorite guests, uh, Steve Bolson, Vice President, Principal Analyst at Constellation, Constellation Research. We always talk about distributed ledgers and blockchain, data privacy. And of course, we've got so much to talk about with Steve in terms of this distributed digital only world that we're in now. So um, Ray, next week is going to be amazing. This week was fantastic. Your uh, closing remarks. You know, it's amazing. Uh, all the people we've brought together over the last four years. I, I think uh, this is a fun Friday for you and I. Uh, and, and I and I encourage other people to jump in and join uh, the conversation. Suggest folks that you think are amazing. Um, we're going to, you know, keep doing this for, I hope, the next four to five years as we, as we do this out and, you know, and, and really reach out to more types of uh, people who are willing to share, who want to share their ideas, want to share some of the things that you know they're excited about. That spirit of innovation. Uh, things are going to be a little bit hard for a little, for a while, but that's okay, right? There is hope out there, and, and I think you're seeing that in the people that we talk to and that share their ideas. What about you, Vala? What's going on on your end? I love the fact that you're inviting guest suggestions. Please, if you know someone that's doing extraordinary extraordinary work. In, in, uh, you know, uh, let Ray and I know, Ray, let Aubrey know, uh, again, at Disrupt TV show. And we would love to bring people that you admire because the folks that watch this show, we admire you. So, yeah, please recommend guests. You know, we were, I think we're booked for the next month or two. So there may be some delays, but we'd love to hear from you. We've got the second half of this year, and I'd love to fill every slot with people that you think we should be speaking to. Uh, and as long as their goal is to educate and inspire, they have a home here at, at Disrupt. Uh, Ray, I miss you. Uh, I, I can't wait to give you a, a physical hug, not a virtual one. There you go, big. We go big. I just want everybody to stay healthy and safe. And, uh, you know, we'll get back to a new norm and we'll all adjust and uh, just keep that beginner's mindset. 
let science guide your next steps. And, uh, you know, we'll get through this together. Everyone's struggling. You're not alone. Everyone. You know, <laughs> you know, uh, even on Fridays when Ray and I have this, you know, great optimism. And trust me, it's tough. The last couple of months have been really tough for our families, friends, colleagues. So just know you're not alone. We're together. We're together. If it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. Come join us 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern every Friday. And uh, catch us next week for episode 190. Oh, my God. 190. <laughs> All right. That's Take awesome. care. Bye, everyone. See you guys.